I was in uh, youth ministry, we had two rules. Rule number one, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there doing what you're supposed to be doing. Rule number two, when in doubt, don't. Rule number one, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there doing what you're supposed to be doing. Rule number two, when in doubt, don't. If people obeyed those two rules, they wouldn't get in a mess. You'd never get pulled over by the police. You'd never get served with a warrant. You'd never get disciplined by your parents. I mean, just go on and on and on. There are going to be people that are going to die today and tomorrow because they're not where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're going to disobey orders to evacuate because they're going to stay for their cat or their dog. There was a person interviewed on TV this week boarding up the windows to their trailer in Miami. It's not going to help. Have you ever not been somewhere you were supposed to be? You've been not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Have you ever missed a meeting or a moment because you weren't where you were supposed to be doing what you were supposed to be doing? Have you ever missed an opportunity to meet someone or to be somewhere or to be a part of something great because you missed a moment? I don't know where Thomas was John was kind enough in writing his gospel to not tell us where John was, but where, where Thomas was, but wherever he was, it was not more important than being with the disciples, especially after all they had been through with the death of Christ and the crucifixion, the burial and the resurrection, and now Jesus is appearing to them, and Thomas is not with them. I mean, you, if you look at it, here's Thomas. He, he, he could have been there, but he wasn't. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 24, and I want you to see what happens in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them. You ought to underline that because you ought to every day ask your question, am I where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing? He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. Why? Because they were where they were supposed to be. And he said to them, unless I see in his hand the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It appears that by nature and temperament, Thomas was a doubter. We, we use idioms like doubting Thomas. It, it appears he may have been a little bit on the negative side. Maybe he was just a skeptic. We, we don't know what was going on here. Maybe the glass was half full. I'm not sure. But Thomas wasn't where he was supposed to be, and he missed this appearance of Jesus. So the question comes, can you be honest today? Are you where you are supposed to be today, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, in your personal life, in your family, in your home, in your business dealings, in your finances? When you, when you look at Thomas, you, 
you got to admit, here was an honest guy about where he was. Now, here's the thing about Thomas. Thomas asked the questions that everybody else was thinking, but they didn't want to appear so dumb to ask it. So let's just kind of back up. John chapter 11. John 11, Jesus says he's going to die. Thomas speaks up and says, well, I guess, you know, if he's going to die, we might as well go die with him. Maybe Peter was thinking that. Maybe John was thinking that. But Thomas is the one that blurts out of his mouth, well, if he's dying, we're all dying. Let's all go die. John chapter 14, Jesus is explaining that he's going away and he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And Thomas responds, Jesus Jesus says, you know the way I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And the disciples are probably all thinking, I mean, let's be honest. They're just like us. They're sheep. They're dumb. They have to be led. We don't know where he's going. Now, they've been with him for three years. They should have a clue. They should have an idea. They've been on the inside track. They've been privy to meetings that other people have not been privy to. And then all of a sudden, they're sending each other text messages under their robe. I don't know what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? I don't have a clue what he's talking about. I think I must have missed that meeting. Were you asleep during that meeting? I don't know what's going on. And, and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, but how do we know the way? And the disciples were clueless. But they wouldn't admit it, Thomas did. But do you realize that if Thomas hadn't said what he said, we would not have this verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus' I am statement came in a response to Thomas's questions. Guess what? Some of us in this room are trying so hard to be spiritual, we're afraid to ask God questions. Thomas wasn't. I mean, when's the last time you really got honest with God? I, I mean, you didn't put on your church face. You didn't put on, on your, you know, punch your card for the appropriate Jesus Duke statement at this moment. When's the last time you really got honest with God and asked God, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to us? Why is this happening to my friend? Why is this going on? Listen, Jesus doesn't answer if you don't ask. You got to ask. And he's not afraid of our questions. What frustrates the Lord, I think, is when we're not honest enough to ask the questions. And so can we be honest today? Hey, Thomas is saying, Lord, hey, I don't understand. They're all scaredy cats. They don't understand either. You're going to have to help us here. We don't know where you're going. I know we've been there. I know we should know the answer to this question. Look, we all went to Bible school. We all got perfect attendance pens, but we don't know. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Now you jump to chapter 20, and these disciples have had this game-changing experience. They have seen the resurrected Lord, and they're jumping up and down, and they're high-fiving. I mean, maybe they got a mosh pit in the upper room. I don't know uh, what's going on, but I mean, they're, they're, they are excited. 
about what they have seen and heard. And, and the doors were shut, and he walks in, and Thomas is not there. I mean, John points out Thomas was not there. I don't know if John was trying to make a point or if the Holy Spirit just said, you need to make a point, John, about Thomas was not there where he was supposed to be. And then Thomas shows up, and they say, Thomas, you cannot believe. I mean, Jesus, you know, we saw him. He was there. Peace be still. He prayed over us, and then he's gone. Then he opened the door. He's gone. And Thomas was a really good deacon. And he said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the minutes of the meeting. I've got to see a report. I've got to touch. I've got to feel. Before I believe, I've got to experience something here. And so Thomas shows us the difference between knowing a lot about God and knowing God. Do you have to see God do it before you believe it? Because if you have to see God do it before you believe it, you don't really believe. If you only believe what you see, you don't really believe. Now there's a huge step of faith in there. You and I have to believe the promises of God even if we don't see them coming true at the moment. The promises are still real. Israel was in bondage for 400 years, but they believed that one day God would deliver them. Now, they griped the whole time about the way he did it. And then they didn't believe that he would get them across because of the giants, but God had still made the promises. God made a promise. All through history, the devil tried to kill the line of the Messiah, and God made a promise. It's coming this way. And when Joseph and Mary arrive on the scene, thousands of years later, Messiah appears in the person of Jesus Christ. God has made promises. He's made promises that he's going to come again. We haven't seen it, but we believe it. Why? Because he said so. See, if I've got to see it, listen, if you're sitting there, I'll believe in Jesus when I see him coming back. Too late. You missed the call. The plane has taken off. You're left at the airport. It's over. You see, if you're waiting today until God does something that you can see, feel, and touch with your five senses, you're going to miss what God wants to do. It's easy for us to play our Christian games and and to live off of spiritual highs, but, but here's the two questions. Do you know him? Do you know him? And can you testify of him? Do you know him? I, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about do you know people that know him. I'm asking you, do you know him? Do you know Jesus personally as a personal Lord and Savior? Do you know him because you have met him in your heart and found in him forgiveness of sin? Do you know him? Can you testify of him? All kinds of opportunities for us in the storms that we've been through in January, in the times in the 90s with two major floods, and now with this storm approaching us, will we be quiet about our faith in Jesus Christ and our hope in Jesus Christ? Or will we expect our neighbors to wait until a physical Jesus knocks on their door and hands them a gospel of John? 
Because if we're not testifying about him in the storm, I promise you we're not testifying about him in the good times. Because people are more open to hearing about what God is doing, and you've got to be ready for their questions. But they're more open to hearing about the Lord in times of storms and in times of prosperity. And if, if we're waiting for Jesus to physically show up, we're going to miss the boat. Thomas says, unless I see him. He, he, now, I want you to notice something. I'm going to give Thomas a little credit here. Thomas didn't say, what did he look like? He didn't say, what did his voice say? Did his voice change after the resurrection? No. He said, I need to put my finger in the nail-scarred hand. Behind the statement is this, because I'm going to give him a benefit of a doubt. Behind the statement is this, you know, we're all tired, we're all hurting, but at the end of the day, if I see a nail-scarred hand, I know it's not a figment of anybody's imagination. I know it really is the resurrected Jesus. I know it is him. Because I've seen the nail-scarred hand. So you've got to give him a little bit of a benefit of a doubt. I want to see the one that died for me because I know this. He died with nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a spear in his side. I know that. So I, I want to see the real Jesus. Here, here's what American Christianity wants to see. They want to see the prosperity gospel Jesus that doesn't have any nail scars in his hands. Doesn't have any nail scars in his feet. Doesn't have any nail scars. Doesn't have a crown of thorns on his head. He's wearing a Rolex. Driving a Bentley. Ignoring the world. Taking your $20 a month. Telling you whatever you want to hear. That's not Jesus, folks. That's not Jesus. And if you buy the lie that Jesus is whatever you want him to be, you will go to hell missing the real Jesus. Because Jesus didn't come to say, I will be whatever you want me to be that makes you happy. Jesus came to be your Lord and your Savior. Jesus came to change your life from the inside out. Jesus came to help you deal with the storms of life. Jesus came to put the Holy Spirit inside of you so that when you're going through the battle and you're being sucked through a keyhole, you know there's somebody there with you. He's Lord and Savior. And I'm afraid today we have an American Christianity that only works in America. It does not work in a mud hut in Africa. It does not work in the persecuted church. It does not work anywhere but here where we water down Jesus to make him acceptable to our lifestyle. Jesus gives of himself to those who see him as risen Lord and Savior. Thomas laid out his terms and his conditions. I don't think he was being resistant. I think he just wanted to know for sure. There's a danger here of playing around the edges of Jesus and never getting to him. Billy Graham said 30 years ago that 85% of the American church that claims to be Christians are not. He may be low in his numbers. You see, Jesus is not going to ask you what river you were baptized in or what church you were a member of when you meet him one day the only way to get into heaven is to know jesus as a personal lord and savior 
that you have realized that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You're rotten to the core. You're depraved. You're as bad as the worst guy on death row. You're as evil as the worst drug dealer on the streets at any time. And only by the grace of God have you been saved from that. Listen, you can't be good enough to even get within earshot of heaven. You can't get there that way. You can join Sherwood Baptist Church. I mean, we've had people here been baptized four times. That's not going to get them into heaven. They got some people. I mean, they just keep walking into baptistry waters. I'm going, okay. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for a feeling. They're like, well, I tell you what, I messed up. Think I'll make a recommitment. Think I'll get baptized again. Six months later, messed up. Think I'll make a recommitment. Get baptized again. No, messed up means I need to repent. Now, let me explain repentance to you. Repentance means I'm not doing it anymore. This idea of getting over and over and over and over again, you've got to be the most miserable person on the planet. You're more miserable than lost people because you don't know whether you're in or out. We got people with crazy ideas. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Not life, then I'm out. Not life, then I'm over here. Not life, then I'm somewhere else. I've come to give you life. Now, you either know you got that or you don't. And you either got it when you're up and you got it when you're down. You got it when you're in a hospital. You got it when you're broke. You got it when you got money. You either got it or you don't. Quit asking God to do something for you when you need to do, you need to take the step. Now, we're good at playing theological and theoretical and philosophical questions and church questions. You know, how many angels can fit on the head of a pen? Who cares? <laughs> if a tree falls in a hurricane, can anybody hear it? Who cares? The question is, is he my Lord and my God? Second thing, will you make the right choice today? Now, I, Thomas missed the point because there are a few things he didn't do right. Number, number one, he wasn't with the disciples. Verse 24, Thomas, one of the twelve, not everyone was there. John points this out. I don't know why he wasn't there. You know, was it fear that he had wasted three years of his life? Did, it, did his fear and his feet vote to take off? I, I don't think he was running to the grocery store to stock up on water. Let, let me ask you a question. Is it in the realm of possibilities that someone here has or will miss the greatest God moment in your life because you're not where you're supposed to be? Could it be that the prayers that you've been praying, that the desires of your heart, that the scriptures that you've been claiming, all of those are going to come together next week at Refresh, but you're going to be busy with other stuff. That's going to be more important 
And then you're going to show up in a week or two, kind of get back into church. It's about time to go back, get back into church, and people are going to be saying, man, you cannot believe what God did. Really? Yeah. Where were you? Uh, I was at home. Missing some of the greatest moments God could ever give you in your life. You see, you can miss moments because you don't see the value in the moment. I'm sure Thomas thought, this is my sanctified imagination. I'm sure Thomas thought, well, nothing's happened up to this point. I don't see the value in just sitting around here. I mean, we've all told all our fishing stories that we can tell. I'm just going to go out and get some fresh air for a while. He chose the wrong time to leave. And he missed what God had to say. I wonder, I just wonder... If there's a page in God's book where one day he opens it up to us and says, Now, Michael, let's look at all the times you weren't there where you were supposed to be. Maybe my quiet time. Maybe my Bible study. Maybe my prayer time. Maybe in a witnessing opportunity. Busy doing other things. Or... I wonder if there's a page in God's book that says, okay, you were there. I saw you in church on Sundays. You were very faithful. But really what you were doing is checking the box. You were just checking the box to say you were there. But you weren't listening and you weren't paying attention and you didn't hear what I wanted to say to you. I wonder if there's a page in God's book that says, you know, I wanted to do some great things in your life. And there was that moment in that invitation where the Holy Spirit just kind of got behind you and went like that. And you grabbed hold of the seat and said, I'm not going down front. People might think something is wrong with me. Hey, we all think something's wrong with you. Is that news to you? Everybody thinks something's wrong with me. And we all think something's wrong with you. You quit worrying about what people think about you and respond to God. Do what God says you're supposed to do. Move on God's prompt. Do you come expecting to meet God in a great and a new way? He also assumed he could make Jesus act on command. Now, I'm just going to tell you, he had no right to say to Jesus what he said. Hey, hey, get over here, Jesus. I, I need to see. See, he thinks Jesus has got to answer to his beck and call. Hey, hey, you get over here. Stick those hands out. He had no right to talk to Jesus that way. I mean, he's standing in the presence of the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. He's trying to act like he's the boss. I want you to just imagine something. I, I mean, I, listen, I've been in the White House. I've been in the Oval Office. Imagine if I got a call. Imagine if I got a call to come to the White House. And they said, hey, we'd like you to come and come for a brief meeting. You get to come back to the Oval Office, which is a cool place to go. You get to go back in the Oval Office, and I said, listen, you tell the president, if I can't bring my wife and stay in the Lincoln bedroom and go downstairs whenever I want to and make the chef fix me whatever I want in the White House kitchen, I'm not coming. They'd say, thank you very much. Put him on the do not call list. 
You don't go to the White House and set the conditions. You don't go to the White House and set the terms. When I went for a meeting in an Oval Office, there was another pastor, and he was standing right by me, and he brought a guy from his church with him. And he just walks up to the Secret Service. Now, this is what he says. This is the arrogance of this guy. I'm telling you what, preachers are some of the most messed up people in the world. I mean, this is the arrogance of this guy. He walks up with a guy on his staff and says, Hey, man, said, we flew down from New York, and I got my buddy here with me. I just thought I'd take him into the Oval Office with me. And the Secret Service guy just crossed his arm and said, Step away from the window. He said, well, I got him. He's got his driver's license with him. He said, he doesn't have security clearance. Step away from the window. He said, well, and about that time, another guy comes out, and he's got his hand right here. And this guy stands up, leans into the glass, and says, sir, I'm going to give you to the count of five to either come in with the credentials you've been approved with or get off this property. Why? Because you just can't show up at the White House and do whatever you want to do. By the way, you don't show up in the presence of Jesus and do whatever you want to do. You don't show up in the presence of Jesus and make demands. You show up in the presence of Jesus, you do what Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Have we not at all times said, Lord, unless you do fill in the blank. That's what Thomas did. Unless you do this, Lord, unless I see the hands and the feet, unless you act the way I want you to act, I'm not going to believe. What's your unless? What is your unless? Unless you do this, unless you clear this up, unless you step into this situation... And before we know it, we're not praying and begging God to work. We're demanding that God do what we want. And sometimes what we want is not in the will of God. may be good for us. It may not be good for the will of God. What's your unless? There's an arrogance of saying unless to the one who died for us. So here's a question. What conditions... Are you trying to put on your relationship with Jesus? What conditions are you trying to put on your relationship with Jesus? Verse 24, he was not with them. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Same thing. Both times Jesus came, the doors were shut, walked right through the doors. Both times he said, peace be with you. Then two times in the following verses, Jesus looks at Thomas and says, reach here, reach here. You want proof? I'm standing right here in front of you. You know what Jesus was saying? Let's just kind of read between the lines. So you're one of those people, unless I show up and you can see it with your five senses, you don't believe that I'm Lord. Unless something happens that gives you chill bumps. Unless you can see and feel and touch it, you don't believe that I'm Lord. You don't believe I'm serious. Unless you can see and feel and touch. 
And, and can I just tell you something? I don't believe Thomas touched. I believe Thomas fell on his face. Because I believe in that moment Thomas realized he had pushed a little too far. So the last question is, will you make the true confession today? Verse 28, my Lord and my God. Lord is a word of surrender. I'm, I'm giving Jesus all I've got. My Lord and my God. Significant that he said both of those things. Why? Because Lord focuses on my responsibility. God focuses on who he is. I'm responsible to honor God for who he is. Not for what I want him to be, not for the God that I've created in my image. I'm responsible to honor God for who he is. And he's not the big man upstairs. He's not the guy in the sky. He's not an ecclesiastical Santa Claus. He's not a bellhop. He's the Lord God. And in saying, Lord God, he was saying, Thomas was saying, I'm your servant. I'm dead to myself. Whatever you want, I know who you are, and I will do whatever you say. By the way, tradition tells us that Thomas was the one disciple that took the gospel to India. He was the one disciple that left and went to the corners of India to share the gospel. And all around the nation of India today, there is still evidence of the life of a doubting Thomas who quit doubting and started acting on his faith. When's the transition going to happen with you? When's it going to happen with me? That our faith moves to a kingdom focus. And it's not about, Lord, prove something to me. But it's about, God, I want to be a witness for you. Jesus said, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believe. Remember Manly Beasley's definition of faith? Faith is believing that it's so when it's not so because God said so, so that it would be so. Faith is believing that it's so when it's not so, so that it will be so because God said so. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. When God said, I'll never leave you and forsake you, I don't care how you feel, he never leaves us and forsakes us. When God said, I am with you always, he wasn't lying. He means I'm with you always. When God says, I'm sending a comforter to you, he meant he's sending a comforter to you. When God says, I'm coming back, he's coming back. Are you living on the promises of God? You see, I don't have to see to believe. You shouldn't have to see to believe. With a child that may be true. With adults, we shouldn't have to see to believe. We'll always be at the seeing level if we're always looking for spiritual highs. Some of us can get addicted to spiritual highs. You know, man, I love worship. You know, I love those songs. And before you get to the car, you're back to your old carnal self. Come out of camp. Come out of Disciple Now. Come out of a conference. Come out of Bible study. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for the world. Things kind of settle back. 
God never intended you and I to live our lives on an emotional level. Ron Dunn used to say, God doesn't do his deepest work in the shallowest part of your being. And your emotions are the shallowest part of your being. God doesn't do a deep work in shallow water. He does a deep work in deep water. And in deep hearts that run deep with him so he can speak to them and work in them and do things in them that he can't do in shallow water. Because shallow water is too much affected by the tide. God's call is total. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, if anyone comes to me and doesn't do all that, he he can't be on my good list. He didn't say can't be a church member. He, he didn't say can't be a pastor. He didn't say can't be a Sunday school teacher. He didn't say can't be a Christian couple. What he said was, if you don't love me more than anything and everything else, you can't be my disciple. So we're either going to walk out of here in just a few moments and he's either going to be Lord God or we're going to walk out of here and be like tons of other Christians. Well, prove it to me. Prove me that you're still alive. Prove it to me that you still answer prayers. Prove it to me that you're still a God who does what he says he will do. Listen, if God never did another thing for you, you have nothing to complain about. If all the blessings stop today, we've got nothing to complain, to complain about. Question, is he your Lord God? Is he your Lord God? Or is he just someone you lean on when times get tough? Or is he someone you love whether the times are good or bad. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to step out right now from where you are and find one of these men at the end of the aisle and walk up to them and say, I need a personal relationship with Jesus. You may be going through a storm, you may not be, but if you need to have a personal relationship with Christ today to repent and to trust him, to turn from your sin, and to ask his son to save you, I'm going to ask you to step out right now. People are praying for you, that you will come, and that you will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Some of you are here today, and you need to come to this altar because the truth of the matter is your Christian life is up and down, hot and cold, thick and thin. It just gets a little thin sometimes. And you're, if you're really honest, your faith is a little fickle. Depends on what's going on, depends on who's preaching, depends on what podcast 
I listen to, depends on what book I'm reading, and it's hot and cold. It's a little fickle. Are you a disciple? Is it true in your heart right now that he is Lord and God? My responsibility and the acknowledgement of who he is. He is Lord and God. Hey, when everything else comes loose, he's still Lord and God. But is he your Lord and God? I, I know there's a lot going on outside and there's a lot going to be going on outside. But for some of you, the difference in how you're going to respond to what's going on outside is going to be right now in the next two minutes. It's going to be whether you're going to become fearful or faithful. Whether you're going to be strong or weak. And you're not here by accident. This sermon was planned four weeks ago before any of this ever hit the radar. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you're hearing this. Don't miss the moment that God has for you. You come and you respond right now.